During a Zoom session presented by the University of Scranton during the pandemic, the celebrated jazz trombonist Wycliffe Gordon spoke about performing in a way he seldom does. When he and his quintet are on tour, for example, and getting ready to play, he admitted they stop for a few moments of prayer beforehand. It's nothing churchy at all. Perhaps it's a time for them to get in tune with each other before they play a note. Surely it's that. But Wycliffe Gordon went farther. He acknowledged that when each member is playing and listening inwardly and as well to each other, there's something spiritual that's happening, something larger and deeper than they are. And it's when they're playing jazz standards they love. doubt that's the very thing Mrs. Carter told her son Bill about when she heard Louis Armstrong back in the 50s. It wasn't just that the folks in the audience were moving together to Armstrong's musical rhythms, breathing together as Armstrong played. She knew it was deeper than that, and she tried to explain it to Bill. Her son, Bill Carter, knows all about that groove. He's not just a top-notch jazz pianist. He's a band leader, a composer, and a Presbyterian minister. And his music making and his ministry aren't separate. That's why he and his ensemble can play music of Charlie Mingus, Chick Corea, or Bill's own pieces. And have that sense of communication, community, maybe even communion. And it's no stretch then for Bill to imagine creating a work that will take us where we may need to go, but for one reason or another, we don't get there. Jazz is not just right for celebrating the high spirits of Mardi Gras. What about those times when we're grieving? Of course, there's the example of the New Orleans funeral processions, but Bill Carter has composed a requiem, a jazz requiem, titled Lux Eterna, Eternal Light, that will have its premiere this Sunday in Clark Summit with the Lyric Consort and the Presbybop Quintet to open the Arts at First Presbyterian Church series. We had a chance to learn more from composer Reverend Bill Carter and Dr. Alan Baker, artistic director of the Lyric Consort. Bill Carter, 
This is a Presbyterian version of a jazz requiem, and I will leave it there. Not being Roman Catholic or Russian Orthodox, I am not bound by the strictures of their liturgical traditions. And I follow the lead of John Rutter and others who have decided to break a little bit free from the medieval form of a requiem. And it's in the jazz kind of sentiment and, and tonalities. The impetus, really, 11 years ago, we lost my friend Joanne Matichak, who was a dear friend, member of our church choir, died of cancer. And I remember thinking specifically at the time, I, I wonder if there's a way that as a composer, I can kind of touch her spirit through the music of jazz and offer something in her honor and her memory that will provide consolation for others. And then life took over and uh, it kind of went on the shelf just as an idea. And then when my father died five years ago, the notion came back and lingered. And then when my mother-in-law died, couple years after that, I said, this is something I want to work on. And so I had sketches that I kept in the piano bench and a phrase would come or something and then I'd let it go. But it was really this pandemic and all the losses we have all experienced that brought it to the fore. And I wanted to do a piece that didn't pray the lost loved ones into heaven. That's really God's work but perhaps prayed all of us into heaven or welcomed heaven here and now. And so I drew on the traditional texts of Scripture and the the church's liturgy and then uh, reharmonized a few things. Before we get into the specifics of what you've chosen and how Alan and Mm -hmm. Lyric Consort are involved, let me ask you to talk to our listeners who haven't heard you speak before about your sense of jazz as a language that is spiritual, does speak to our Mm -hmm. deep selves and souls in a way that this would be appropriate? I think all music touches us in a kind of a porous level uh, and seeps into our souls by way of our ears. And for those of us who make music, there's the whole other level of um, dimension of making an offering. And again, an offering that should meet other souls and other ears. And jazz is just one kind of music. It's one tradition, but I also hold that it's deeply saturated and rooted in the experiences of suffering. First among those of mixed race and African races, But um, as jazz has developed as a 110-year tradition, now 120-year tradition, it has broadened and pulled more people into the whole gumbo that emerged from New Orleans. And a good gumbo has presence to it. It has has a scent. uh, and, And music like that is a form of incense that gets ignited into a room and disperses over time. But it changes the room when it's created and when it's recreated. Jazz is rooted in the spirituals, but it's also, it's a group art form as singing is. And it's based on trust and based on competence. And uh, once in a while, even based on rehearsal, but uh, only if we're working with a great choir. 
When you were working on this, were you writing this for the Lyric Consort in your ears? Well, they were the first group I thought of and the one I know the best. It's it's probably a half shade taller than what a, a typical church choir could do. There are some notes that need to be pulled out of thin air by musicians who have good memories. Remember where the F sharp is, or to sing that chord that has no root except provided by the bass player. So it demands a little bit more than uh, the average kind of gathering of singers. And the Lyric Consort has distinguished itself for its entire presence in northeastern Pennsylvania as an outstanding organization, and their director is a good friend, so that helps. (laughs) Alan, did you know he was working on this, and did you say yes right away? Yes and yes. I don't remember the first time he told me that, that this was in the works, but he's kind of delivered it bit by bit to us over maybe the last year. I don't think we actually knew we really knew it very well until a couple of weeks ago when we sure. sat down with you and just went all the way through it because we've kind of worked on it here and there, and then we've gone off onto some other projects. Bill's been very nice to come in and explain, or at least try to explain what's going on in, in some <laughs> of the some of the pieces and to play the accompaniments, or at least the accompaniments, how they, they come to him that day along the way. So it's it's been a very, it's been kind of a slow Mm-hmm. Steady build. Yeah, uh, continuing percolation. And one of the curiosities of bringing together these two genres is is that there has to be enough in structure that the singers know exactly what to expect, but enough invitation to freedom that the jazz musicians can step out and, and do something fresh. When you receive the material, Alan, and the singers... Is it something that you go through on your own and then come back and say, Bill, how are we doing? Is that how you did it? Pretty much, yeah. A couple of times we, we were rehearsing at the church, actually. Mm-hmm. So he happened to be in the building, so he'd just kind of come in and introduce something to us. But yeah. most part it would be, yeah, let us let us pound this out a little bit, and then we'll get together with, with you. And, and then the process becomes like, well, it's different for us because we're so used to just hearing each other. And so it's been nice to have some rehearsals because, I mean, they say, yes, the parts in the bass or something like that, Mm -hmm. but we're just not used to having that stuff inhabiting the same sound space as Mm -hmm. us. And it's usually so easy to hear the people that are next to you or across the way from you. And he was mentioning trust. And there's a certain amount of, (laughs) you have to trust yourself in this, at least until we get some amplification and monitors and stuff. Because there are times you really, you can't hear yourself the way you normally would hear yourself and you're not quite sure if you're right or not and you throw a saxophonist into the mix and everything goes sideways in the samples that you gave the saxophone is haunting in a number of places really goes right through the listener great that was the intent yeah and wait till we add the trumpet who also plays french horn and and a little bit of a clattering on the drums as well Tell us about the texts that you decided upon then. Well, we start with the 23rd Psalm, a verse from the 23rd Psalm. Uh, Through the shadow lands you walk with me in darkness. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But I picked shadow lands because that phrase, which originates with C.S. Lewis, seems to resonate with both the experience we've had in the pandemic, this kind of like not quite substantive experience. I mean, we're, we're in a cloud half the time. 
and but it also is experience of grief where you know even after the funeral everybody else's life goes back to normal and your life will never be the same having lost a loved one it's like you're at the bottom of a swimming pool looking up through ripples of water towards sunlight and you know it's there but you're not there yet so that moves into a kyrie lord have mercy on on us and it expands it to become a trinitarian text Christ, have mercy on us. Spirit, look upon those you love. And then in the thick of that, as a nod toward John Rutter and his Requiem, the second movement, which is uh, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, Psalm 130, which is Bach's favorite psalm. We have a bit of that emerging with the bass voices. It moves on from there to the Piezu, which is the prayer for rest and eternal rest. And then the acknowledgement of uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, uh, that one gets a bit rambunctious because, of course, the work of taking away the sins of the world is rather rambunctious. And then we sink into the Latin text of uh, light eternal. Into light eternal, we, we commend this experience and these loved ones. And then movement six is... Uh, reaffirmation of God's values by singing the Beatitudes. And it's a, it's a gospel song. It uh, thumps along, uh, opens up for solos. It's pretty fun for a requiem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. D.A. Sire, you know, the, the day of wrath, no thank you. That's medieval. I don't have that as part of my faith. Thank you. I want to acknowledge the blessings of God in the people who have been the blessing. Then at the end, um, the words of commendation, which it, it provides the script for handing the loved one and the experiences of grief off to the Holy One who can do something with this. And then we portray that musically in the eighth movement with an instrumental piece that eventually fades right into the clouds. You're hey. shaking your head, Alan. Well, the, the last movement's beautiful. My wife heard it the other night. She's in tears. I'm getting all tearied. Because we can't really engage with the piece emotionally. We can start to, but you always kind of get pulled back with like, oh, we have to count. <laughs> or, um, oh, here comes that rhythm I never get right. That kind of thing. So that last movement, we can finally, speaking you know, for the singers, we can have a kind of a extended emotional engagement with the mm. piece. And I've only heard the last movement once, but it seemed like some of the things that, mm-hmm. that we had mm-hmm. sung throughout that we probably wanted to engage with emotionally but couldn't, here they come, and now we can now we can really be open to them. It's, it's a very it's a beautiful ending. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. There, there's some musical continuity in the, in the extended compositions, some resurfacing motifs and melodies and melodic scraps, as well as harmonies. I had a lot of fun with a pentatonic scale with shifting bass notes, which means nothing to anybody listening to this interview. But that opened up some musical possibilities. We have talked with you before about your respect for and friendship with Dave Brubeck, and you have spent a good deal of time investigating, listening to, taking to heart his sacred music. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, when Brubeck lost a nephew to brain cancer in the early 60s, 
uh, one of the ways he wanted to provide consolation to his brother Howard was to write a setting of Let Not Your Hearts Be Troubled, Believe in God, Believe Also in Me. And it was the first piece, and as his world-famous quartet began to devolve from years going around the world, he felt a calling to write more uh, expansive works and uh, to, to script them completely so that they had some shelf life beyond the incense of a jazz quartet. So the first piece, Let Not Your Hearts Be Troubled, expands then into a piece called Light in the Wilderness, which was based on the teachings of Jesus, and that became the first of over a dozen major oratorios and pieces that he wrote, often in eight-part harmony for the voices and things that are almost impossible for a, a good choir to sing. They're, they're very difficult. But again, that was another seed planted in me that, um, that jazz and music can provide consolation or at least be offered for that. What do we have a sample of? Well, I, I brought along a, a copy of, uh, of that recording, Let Not Your Hearts Be Troubled, uh, recorded uh, by Eric Kunsel and the uh, Cincinnati Symphony and Brubeck. In addition to the marvelous lyric consort, you were alluding to the saxophone, and you're the mm -hmm. pianist. Tell us who will be with you. Sure. It's the uh, current version of the uh, touring Presby Bop Quintet, so we've expanded to five. Uh, so we have Mike Carbone on saxophone, soprano and tenor saxophone for this. Tony Marino is playing bass and playing a lot of bass. Uh, Ron Vincent is our drummer. And then Jeff Stockham is our trumpeter who also has a master's in French horn from Eastman. So it provides a lot of color to, uh, to back up the ensemble and a couple of the other pieces which we'll introduce in addition to the Requiem. How do they and where do they, at what points, do they have elbow room to move in the rest of the piece? They do. Some of the music is conceived uh, to be an, a dance with the choir. So the instrumentalists are soloing and the choir is providing a backdrop or vice versa. So, so there's that. Uh, the P.A. Yezu, uh, the lyric is, uh, is sung seven times, a seven-fold repetition for completion. And interspersed, there's a piano solo and a saxophone solo and a bass solo, and all of these things drifting and floating along like a cloud. And other parts, uh, like the setting of the Beatitudes, which sounds very much like a gospel song, the horns are playing background lines and then opening up for some solos. And, Alan, you mentioned it's important to hear yourselves <laughs> in this, but in terms of the, the language, Bill just mentioned the gospel sense of the Beatitudes. What other musical styles do you hear as you're singing? How would you characterize well, it? The first thing we sing, like when you first gave that to me, it was kind of an a cappella, uh, four, five part, and a little point of imitation, and it's like, oh, this is just kind of a kind of modern take on what we do a lot of. It diverges quite a bit from that, but it's very dancey at times. The the repetition in the PA Yezu is, is wonderful because it, it's it, every time you sing it, it's a little bit different because you've just heard something else 
Yeah, mm. the, well, and, and that began as a, a series of clusters on the piano, chord clusters, and then I didn't know what it was, and I coaxed it out as the PA Yezu, and then decided I needed to keep shifting the bass line underneath of it. So Tony's part is, is very much scripted, and then the, the choir sings on top of that, and it fits together. And then we added unusual things, since much music is phrased in four measures, this being a repetition of five measures. And then we have a variation that's in seven measures, and then a couple of interesting chords and voice leading, and to, make, and to smooth that out and make it all continuous and seamless, or at least begin the process of making it seamless. So that, that's been fun. It's been a great project during the pandemic. Tell us about light in jazz, and you talked about the shadows and the evocation of the phrase Shadowlands. What do you think of when you talk about light in jazz and being able to evoke light? Uh, I, I would push it to the extreme and say it is ecstasy, it is joy, it is inspiration and enlightenment, uh, it is liberation all of which are experiences that often evade us when we're going through grief. So again, back to the image of being at the bottom of a swimming pool looking up and you see light, but you're not there yet. So how can the music get us there or get us closer? I was going to say that all big pieces of music probably are, there's some kind of like a journey. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've had the pandemic and you know everyone has suffered losses and we we just haven't been able to do uh, the kinds of grieving journeys we might normally do individually communally but also when we when we often when we gather to kind of do these musical reflections on profound loss and I don't want to be insulting but we we tend to trot out the same pieces um and we use them over and over again for a uh, Durafle, Mozart, Brahms, um, Verdi. And this is really nice because it's a fresh path through the same well, dark wood, whatever. But mm-hmm. it's, it's nice to have a, like a, a different lens to which, you know, kind of to view, the, to view that journey and, and think about all of that. We are, we're very happy to be part of this. When you mentioned the instruments, French horn and the things that you can do Mm -hmm. given the scoring, what about the colors of the piece? This sounds like it could be very, it could be described as music that's filled with color or colors. It is, it is, it is. The uh, Kyrie, the second movement, is atonal. Um, I played a little bit for our director of music at the church who described it as, uh, those are crunchy chords. And uh, I, I think they are. They, they don't resolve, but they, they move. And then it resolves for a bit, in, and it opens up for the jazz solos, but then it gets crunchy again, and there's an extra measure thrown in for a sax fill and a trumpet fill and things like that. So you know, the, the composer has the opportunity to uh, play with the imagination of the hearers. And... One of the gifts of jazz, which is also a gift of particularly 20th century and post 20th century classical music, is that dissonance can be beautiful. Dissonance can open up uh, some of the dissonance in our own spirits 
and resonate with that. And so something can happen in the transaction of hearing music or encountering great art that is way beyond words. And we find ourselves wiping a tear away or being moved or when the piece is over, we sit in silence for a bit because we've been affected. Uh, we've been met somehow. And in that, in that whole experience, there's the possibility of transformation. I go back to a story that uh, my mother told from her 19th year. Her, her aunt bought her a birthday gift. It was a ticket to hear Louis Armstrong. And it cost $1.85. So it was some time ago and in western Pennsylvania. And she had never experienced anything like this. She said there are two things she remembers. One is Pops, as they called Armstrong, had a stack of folded handkerchiefs on the piano. And within a minute, he was wiping his brow because he was so deeply invested in music making. And then he dropped a handkerchief on the, on the floor, and I, to which I said, I, I wonder what that DNA would be worth. And the second thing she remembers, it was the first time she ever experienced this, that the room changed. Music changed the room, which is astounding. It was in the mid-50s in an all-white town in western Pennsylvania, so white that uh, Lewis was not able to spend the night in the community. He had to travel some distance before he could go to bed. And yet, in spite of that, in the thick of that, the music broke in and transcended the experience. I think musicians aim for that, or ought to aim for that, every time they play. You're inviting us to attend the world premiere? <laughs> At least the Pennsylvania premiere. Yeah, Music for Consolation, Luxe Turner, a jazz requiem. It's going to be on Sunday, October 17th, 4 o'clock, First Presbyterian Church in Clark Summit, and it will be live-streamed as well. People can find that link through fpccs.org. Uh, it's going to be up on YouTube and probably reside there for a good lot longer. So uh, all are invited. It's free. It is provided for us from funding from the state of Pennsylvania and also the county of Lackawanna. And we are very grateful for those public sources of funding that, to make the art possible. The Honest and Composer, Reverend Bill Carter and Dr. Alan Baker, Artistic Director of the Lyric Consort, speaking with us about the premiere of a jazz requiem titled Lux Eterna, Eternal Light, that will have that premiere this Sunday in Clark Summit. The address, 300 School Street, October 17th at 4, and it will be live-streamed on YouTube that you can find on the church's website, F fpccs.org fpccs.org There is no admission fee. And it's Music for Consolation, the Lyric Consort under the direction of Dr. Alan Baker with the Presby Bach Quintet led by pianist and composer Reverend Bill Carter 300 School Street Clark Summit fpccs.org The First Presbyterian Church of Clark Summit 
It is the opening of the Arts at First Presbyterian Church season, featuring music of consolation to begin in November on the 14th, an afternoon of chamber music, music for midwinter in January. They'll be part of the Clark Summit Ice Festival, and that's in February. In March, they'll have the Merchants of Groove Blues Band, an all-church recital in April, and Drew Nugent and the Midnight Society, music from the Roaring Twenties in May. Again, it's the First Presbyterian Church of Clark Summit, 300 School Street, and the website, www.fpccs.org, Music of Consolation, the premiere of the Jazz Requiem, Lux Eterna, Eternal Light, a new Jazz Requiem by the Reverend Bill Carter, and it will be presented on Sunday, October 17th at 4 at the church and live-streamed on YouTube, fpccs.org.